0: All right, guys, uh, if you have uh, your Bible, find Matthew chapter 5. Tonight, we're, we're continuing our study on what we believe about Scripture itself, what we believe about the Bible, why we believe it, why it's important. And I'm grateful to Aaron Wine for teaching for me last week while I had the COVID. Um, I introduced this series a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and then Aaron taught last week on, on the very concept of God revealing Himself to us. Um, God revealing Himself not to us not just in creation generally, but in Scripture especially. Uh, and then, then not just in these outward ways, but also um, it's not revelation per, per se, because revelation is information, but He also talked about the inward work of the Holy Spirit to, who illuminates us, right, than to, um, to to be able to comprehend and receive the revelation that God has given us in Scripture. So what Aaron did for us last week was to kind of get our focus on God who has revealed himself to us and on the Bible and the way those two things are related to each other, that Scripture is the written record of his revelation of himself to us. What I want to do for just a few minutes tonight is to inch ahead just a little bit in this, in this series, then on this theme, and consider it from the perspective of Jesus' view of the Scriptures. How did Jesus view the Scriptures? How did, what was Jesus' perspective on, on the Bible? Um, which, for a Christian, ought to be sort of an intuitive thing to think about. Um, if, if as Christians... Um, Christ is not just, you know, our our Savior from the penalty of our sins, but if He is also the from that point on the model uh, whose footsteps we follow, uh, you know, the, we follow the example of His holiness for seeking after with the Spirit's help the holiness of our own lives. If if He's our example from that point on, then then we should consider all His example. We should consider not just the example of His the morality of his life, but all his example would include, how, it, how, does, how did he understand the Bible? I want to understand the Bible the way Jesus understood the Bible. I want to see it and view the scriptures the way Jesus did, and, uh, and, and, and what, what was its nature. So I want to consider that for a few minutes, and again, I just want us to get a feel for it um, and hit some important points on this, because this, this is a, you could say a lot here, um, and if we try to say everything, we would be here for a long time. I just want to note a few things and hopefully be encouraged by it. If, you've, if you've, I've had you open to Matthew 5 uh, because I, want, I, want, I at least want to begin with a passage of Scripture. We'll, we'll, we'll say something about this passage later on, but we're not going to camp out here just because um, typical of this series. We're going to bounce around a lot to a lot of different passages. But this passage does show you something about what Jesus thinks about scriptures. just two verses, Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. Let's just read those two verses, and um, then we'll pray and get into it. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, but that. By the way, that iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. A dot would be one of the smallest marks in the Hebrew um, lettering system in the Old Testament. So, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Let's pray, and then we'll get into it, Lord. This and every other scripture, we confess like every other passage we ever read, is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And Lord, would you give me the help that I need to teach this most important topic of what you, Lord Jesus, thought about your word. And then help us to understand it. Give us minds to understand what, what you teach us here. Would you give us um, then hearts to embrace and see the importance of it? Would you give us wills to then do with it what you would have us to do? Give me the help that I need to teach. And give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in the Word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Like I said, there is so much that we could say, so many examples of, of each thing I could give. But for the sake of communication and helpfulness to you, I want to narrow it down to just four uh, categories. Four categories, four um, headings um, under which I want to communicate all this. Uh, If I didn't, you might think you were drinking from a fire hydrant. So if you're taking notes, here are the four categories, the four headings that I want us to um, consider. First, Jesus taught the inspiration of the scripture. Jesus taught the inspiration of scripture. Now, again, I'll I'll go ahead and say this here. Um, Some of what we're going to see exemplified by Jesus on this point, uh, like belief in the inspiration of scripture, that itself is going to be a a topic of a CBS in a couple of weeks, right? Um, And and we're going to spend a whole night on it. So um, that's why I'm not going to spend a ton of time on any of these things, like a ton of time on each of these things. I'm just going to touch on them, show you how Jesus himself thought about it. But then we're going to move on because we're going to, almost everything I talk about tonight, we're going to spend an entire night on later on in the semester. Um, but, it, but, they did at least when you come to that thing later in the semester, you'll know that, okay, what we're talking about, I can know that Jesus himself held this view of this thing. So, first is the inspiration of Scripture. Second, Jesus taught the trustworthiness of Scripture. The trustworthiness of Scripture. Again, that's going to be something that we talk about later, pretty soon, when we talk about the infallibility of Scripture. Trustworthiness is going to be a part of that. But, tonight, we're just limited to what Jesus said about it. Uh, and we'll talk about his, tr- the, his view of trustworthiness in two ways. First, I, one, one way that he talks about the trustworthiness is when he talks about it historically. Historically, like Jesus affirmed uh, that the Bible is historically true, the events and things like that. But second, Jesus talked about the truth and promises of the Bible are trustworthy in that respect. So that's, we're going to talk about both of those things. Third, Jesus believed that Scripture is clear and authoritative. Clear and authoritative. We'll see that point best in the way that Jesus often responded to his critics, in in, in how he responded to those who were arguing with him and opposing him. Um, It's a pretty simple point to see, but important. And then finally, Jesus taught Scripture is sufficient. That's a point we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's a point that we're going to talk about later in the semester, and again, I just want to note it here uh, in a couple of places we see it in Jesus, and I don't, um, yeah, repetition is the key to remembering, so I'm fine with that. All right, that's what I want us to see. Let's dive in and think first about how Jesus demonstrated his belief in the inspiration of Scripture. Like I said, in a, in a, in a week or two, we're going to talk, uh, spend a whole night talking about inspiration, We'll think about it that night in a more fully orbed way. What does inspiration even mean? How does it work? Where else do we see it in Scripture? Right now, we're just zooming in. What, what did Jesus say, right? Um, and the clearest, here's the clearest way that I think you see Jesus believing in the inspiration of Scripture is when Jesus, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. When Jesus calls the Word of God something that he's, something he's quoting, when if you looked it up, it was clearly the word of a man. It was, it's quoting something in the Old Testament where it's not saying, and the Lord said, be the word of a man. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, and you can turn to, to a couple of these. Think, for example, what we find in John chapter 10. So uh, turn over to John 10, and uh, I want you to see this with your own eyes. Um, as you're turning, in John 10, Jesus was making some pretty bold and important claims about himself which obviously his opponents did not believe, did not like, and were trying to kill him for it, for blasphemy. And if you get to John 10, if you look down in verse 33, um, they tell him, the Jews answered him, it, it, is not, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, Jesus didn't reply. No, that's not what I'm saying. You got me all wrong. No, that's exactly what he was saying. But look how Jesus answers them. Uh, in, in verse 34, he quotes Psalm 82. Um, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? Now, he's using law broadly there because Psalms technically is not law, but he's using law to refer to the whole Old Testament. Is it not written in your law? And he quotes Psalm 82, 6. I said you are gods. That's Psalm 82, 6. Now, if you turn back there, don't do it. But if you did, Psalm 82, you would find, is written by, it's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph wrote Psalm 82. And so, in a real sense, Psalm 82 is, are the words of the man Asaph, right? But look at what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken. We'll stop there. Now, our purpose here is not necessarily to follow the, the argument toward the deity of Jesus here, as important as that is. But it's, it's the simpler point that Jesus recognized Psalm 82 as one, as scripture that couldn't be broken. And it was the word of Asaph and was at the same time the word of God, right? Asaph wrote it and he said, this was the word of God that came to you, right? That's inspiration. Now, how that works is for a later date, but it's, 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 it's the belief that a man wrote this down and without without compromising his humanity and without compromising his personality God also spoke through that man so such that that man wrote exactly what God intended for him to write right that's that's just one example of Jesus affirming that Jesus knew that Asaph wrote Psalm 82 but he's saying God said that right maybe just one more example there are a ton more in the rest of the New Testament but here we're just looking at Jesus' words. So flip over to, now to Matthew 19. Take a left and go to Matthew 19. And when you get to Matthew 19, you'll even see probably a heading at the top of the chapter where it says this is Jesus teaching about divorce. He's teaching about divorce. And he is, as the chapter begins, Jesus is approached by some Pharisees who are trying to trick him with a question about their tradition on the issue of divorce but after Jesus hears their little tricky question he answers them beginning in verse 4 and look at what Jesus says to the to the Pharisees in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 19 he said he answered have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now think about what he's doing there. What is he quoting right there? He's quoting Genesis 2.24, right? And again, if you turned back there, you don't have to, you would see that what is, what is said in Genesis 2.24 is not in that text attributed to God in particular. It, it's, it's right after... Adam says, when he sees Eve, and he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she's taken out of man. It's like then, after he says that, it's almost just like whoever the narrator is, in this case it's Moses, who's writing, simply adds this comment. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's just a statement from Moses. And... And Jesus quotes that statement from Moses in, in, in Matthew 19. But who does Jesus say said it? In verse um, 4. He who created them from the beginning, male and female, he's the one who said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. So that's just another example in Jesus, of Jesus saying it was the word of Moses, but it was also the one who created Moses talking at the same time in the same words, right? That's just another example of Jesus recognizing that these these passages had human authors, but there was a divine author behind and through them. That's inspiration. And that is a pattern that you're going to see so many other times in other places of Scripture. We're just limiting ourselves to Jesus' words tonight, but that, 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 that make this same sort of argument. And we've not done any kind of like gymnastics or anything to see this. This is just looking carefully at the text and say, like, what does that say? Now, he's quoting that. Who said that? Oh, Asaph. Oh, Moses. Who does he say? God said it. Moses said it. God said it. Same thing. Right? Um, and the inspiration of Scripture is vitally, vitally important to your being able to understand the Bible at all. It's just, it is so important. It is because we believe in the inspiration of Scripture like this that you can have a Bible like this that was written by something like 40 different men over a period of like 1,500 years in three different languages, different cultures, and yet it's not just a random collection of ancient books. But it actually tells... Despite all those things, it tells one unified story. But because Amos is very different than Peter, but there's one divine author over all of it, telling one story, right? So Jesus was clearly taught the inspiration of Scripture. That's something we're going to explore in a couple of weeks even deeper. So we said it was wasn't just that, but Jesus also believed in the in, in the trustworthiness of Scripture. So let's Let's think about that for a second. This is just going to be a taste of what we see uh, in greater depth in a couple of weeks when we talk about the infallibility of Scripture. So, I want to see just some examples of how Jesus taught this. So, I said at the outset, you can see his, his talking about the trustworthy of Scripture in a couple of different ways. One in historically, and the other is in the truth and promises of Scripture, um, When I say historically, Jesus, I mean Jesus doesn't doubt the historicity of Scripture and of scriptural events, and and then you got the truth of promise. I want to give you some examples around both of those. Um, The first, let's just talk about the historical trustworthiness of Scripture. For one, Jesus talks. You'll find all throughout Jesus talks about people and places and events in the Old Testament, just as matter of fact. Like, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not up for question. So, in Matthew 19, he mentions Adam and Eve. And in Matthew 23, he talks about Abel. In Matthew 24, he talks about Noah and the flood. In Luke 17, he talks about the destruction of Sodom. In John 8, he talks about Abraham. In Matthew 8, he talks about Isaac and Jacob. He mentioned, in, in Matthew 12, he mentions both the burning bush and Jonah and the great fish, right? Now, there are a few things to say about that. Like, first of all, somebody could argue that Jesus could, Jesus could mention all of those people. And just because he mentioned those people in those events, um, it, 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 it doesn't mean that they were real. It does, just because he mentioned it, doesn't mean that they were real historical figures or real historical events. But it's, it's the way that he talked about them. It's the way that he referred to these people and events. It, it, they, the way he did it indicates that he knew them to be real historical people and events because, for example, he would say they were Old Testament historical foreshadows of the coming real historical salvation that he was about to provide. And just, just for another example that's kind of for you to think about, I believe it was the second person of the Trinity who would later be named Jesus. when he, and He's the one in the burning bush. So when he says that really happened, he was there. He knew it happened. But But for example, he talks about Jonah and the great fish. I mean, somebody might hear that and be like, that is a weird story. This man got swallowed by a great big old fish and he got spit out. But Jesus Jesus took that event and he said, just like Jonah uh, was released from the fish in three days, so I will rise again from the dead in three days. Not fictionally, but really, historically. If if and 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 if if think about it this way, we think about like Adam and Eve. You think Adam and Eve were fictional characters? No, they weren't, because Jesus uh, later. This is going outside the the realm of the Gospels, but Paul is going to make the make the argument about Adam that that it Jesus was. Redoing the life of Adam who failed and disobeyed in the garden, and now Jesus is obeying what he failed to do. If one was, it, it, it Jesus, it had, he had to be, uh, historically real for the curses of sin to fall down on us. But that the Jesus talks about these things in a way that they were, they really happened, which leads to a third thing I'd say about, about some of these things, and that is. When, when many of the biblical people and places and events, when they are considered from the perspective of, say, archaeological evidence, um, some scholars thereby doubt the trustworthiness of the evidence, uh, of the biblical account, because they say we haven't found archaeological evidence for such and such. Um, but the argument to that would be, if you look back over the past... Decades and even centuries of archaeological finds. And if you, if you then create a continuum of, of things versus on this end, it's like, don't have, don't have evidence for it To we have evidence for it. Which, over these last decades and centuries of archaeological finds, in which direction is the needle moving? Is it moving greater and greater toward we don't have evidence for it, or is it moving greater and greater toward Oh, the longer time goes, we find more and more, and the more we find verifies what Scripture said all along. That's, what, that's, that's where the archaeological needle is moving, and so I believe that Jesus' lack of, of hesitation about affirming all the things we find in Scripture historically should give us confidence even as we wait for archaeology archeolo- to catch up with what we already know. But Jesus' belief in in the trustworthiness of Scripture doesn't just extend to historical facts, but to the truth and promises of Scripture. So we've already seen, you're not still turned there, but we've already seen him say in John 10, 35, that the Scriptures cannot be broken, which means it must and will come to pass. But our main text that we started with in Matthew 5, Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That's a comfort we're going to get to think more about in a couple of weeks. But we keep going. And we've seen Jesus affirm the inspiration of Scripture, the trustworthiness of Scripture. And the third thing I want us to see quickly and easily is his affirmation of the authority and clarity of Scripture. J.I. Packer, who wrote a great book, Knowing God, uh, you should read that, um, when J.I. Packer was a professor at Oxford University in the 1950s, he wrote, he wrote another book called Fundamentalism and the Word of God, also a book you ought to read, Fundamentalism and the Word of God. It's an amazingly good book. <clears throat> Here's what he said in that book. <clears throat> Jesus never opposed his personal authority to that of the Old Testament. He never qualified the Jewish belief in its absolute authority in the slightest degree. The fact we have to face is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, who claimed divine authority for all that he did and thought, both confirmed the absolute authority of the Old Testament for others and submitted to it unreservedly himself. And he treats arguments from scriptures as having a clinching force. When he says, it is written, that is final. There is no appeal against Scripture. Jesus demonstrated that so often, as I said earlier, when he is responding to critics, when he's responding to opponents. And his favorite reply to them, if you've read the Gospels, you'll know this, one of his favorite replies to the Pharisees is, is, have you not read? Have you not read? Um, and that, as what Packer would say, has a clinching argument because, because of the fact that he said that Scripture has such authority. Robert Sosi compiled a good list of, of some of these examples in a book he wrote on Scripture, and you could just jot down some of these examples or you could just listen. In Matthew 12, 3, Jesus asked his opponents, Have you not read what David said? Matthew 12, 5. Or have you not read... Matthew 19, 4, have you not read? Matthew 21, 16, have you never read? Matthew 21, 42, did you never read in the scriptures? Matthew twenty two thirty one, 31, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God? Mark 10, 3, what did Moses command you? Luke 10, 26, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? That's my favorite. Luke 20, 17. It's got a little snark to it, you know? Luke 20, 17. What then is this that is written? John 8, 17. In your law it has been written. John 10, 34. Has it not been written in your law? So many examples. And did you kind of grasp as I went through that list not only that Jesus saw the scriptures as authoritative sort of as the clinching argument if you had read this you would know this and that kind of settles it but it's the assumption also that they're clear right I mean that's sort of the premise behind all of those questions like not only that it's authoritative but you should have not only should you have read it you should have understood it when you did you should have understood it. Even that, my favorite of those, it got a little snark in it, Luke 10 to 26. It's almost mocking. What is written in the law? How does it read to you? How does that read to you? Let's read it together and you tell me. All right? What is the plain meaning of this verse? That's what he's asking. That's precisely why it carries such authoritative force. Is because there isn't a lot of wiggle room in what it's saying you can read it and know what it says now obviously not every single thing in the Bible is equally clear duh but every passage every passage if you make use of all the resources available to you and you compare it to other scriptures that are more clear to understand you can come to a confident understanding of any passage of scripture and Jesus never hesitated on the authority and the clarity of scripture it's like As J.I. Packer noted, he didn't just say it was authoritative for other people. He submitted his own life to it for our salvation. But we need to wrap this up, and as we come to the final point tonight, which is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we'll say more about it in in later weeks. It has to do with Jesus' belief that Scripture is sufficient. And I don't want to spend a ton of time here tonight, but I do want to mention just a couple of ways that Jesus uh, demonstrates the, the sufficiency of Scripture and that is as it pertains to our salvation and to our sanctification. In John 5:39, if you're still in I don't know where you are in your Bible. If you're in John 5, go or 10, go back to 5 or whatever. John 5:39. Jesus is again talking to the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, Listen carefully to what he says to them in John 5 39. He tells them, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. What is Jesus saying there? Notice that he is not faulting them for searching the scriptures. He's not faulting them for poring over the Scriptures. He's not faulting them at all for doing that, nor is He telling them to do less of that. He's faulting them for their motive. He's faulting them for their reason for doing that. They thought they could have eternal life just by knowing a lot about the Bible. They thought they could have eternal life just by trying to keep the law the best they could. But what does Jesus say they should do instead? Realize as you search the scriptures, as you pour over the scriptures, that those same scriptures bear witness to Jesus and his saving work. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, keep searching the scriptures. Keep pouring over the scriptures. The more you do, the more you'll see me who can save, right? We see that same message elsewhere clearly taught. We did a couple of weeks ago, but Jesus in several places himself Teaches this truth that all Scripture is about Him, is written about Him, bears witness to Him, and there's life in His name. Scripture is sufficient to lead us to Jesus for salvation, but once it does that, it's also sufficient for your sanctification. So, if you're in John, Jesus prayed in John seventeen seventeen. It's a good little memory verse. John seventeen seventeen. He said, "Father, sanctify them in the truth." Your word is truth. You can't, you, can't be, you can't be sanctified apart from the word. You just can't. You can't grow in godliness. You can't grow in Christlikeness. You can't grow in your Christian faith apart from the scriptures. It's, it, it just can't happen, guys. If you don't fill your mind with the word of God, what is going to fill your mind? Not godly things at all. But if you fill your mind with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God takes that Word of God and forms you in its likeness, right? And Jesus himself, in a way, demonstrated what this can look like in practice himself. For example, in Matthew 4, when he went into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil, right? And over the course of those 40 days... Three times Satan comes to tempt him. And what were his three responses? It is written. It is written. It is written. Scripture came out of him. And he trusted in, and the Holy Spirit helped him in that moment to trust in what God said versus the temptation over here. Right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, actually. And if you missed it, you can find it on our podcast and listen. But we'll talk about more about that in, in a few weeks. But I find it tremendously encouraging to just sit and think for a while about how the Lord Jesus Christ viewed Scripture. And it's, it's just incredibly encouraging to me to see that he had uh, incredible unflinching con- confidence in its inspiration, in its trustworthiness, in its authority and clarity and sufficiency. I think those are just good things to remember when you read the word for yourself, that it is the living, as, as, as human as it is, it is the living and active word of God.